AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, because every voice matters. Google has announced that it will be discontinuing the Jamboard whiteboarding app. This is not the first product that Google has killed. In fact, there is a website dedicated to products that Google has killed. What do you do when your standard is killed by the main company that owns it? It's a stiff, bereft of life. It rests in peace. If you hadn't nailed it to the perch, you would be pushing up the daisies. It's running down the curtain and drawing the crowd invisible. This is an ex-parent. Well, I better replace it then. Google kills another classroom standard. AMX comes back from the brink and managing the wireless spectrum. All that and more next on AV Week. This is AV Week, episode 634, recorded Friday the 13th, AV Walled Garden. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, from Johns Hopkins University, Aaron Mayer Moran. Welcome, ma'am. Hi. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, old home week, uh, a young man that has been a guest of mine for the last 11 years, Scott Tyner from Bates College. And also he was the head of the VIXA at the time, Infocom Technology Managers Council when I started way back in 1873. <laughs> Welcome, sir. Hey, Tim. Thank you for the invite. It's, it's always great to actually be back with you on a podcast. Absolutely. Good to see you. Uh, and last but not least, uh, and also a very old friend, uh, not that we're old, but I've known Steve a long time, Steve Greenblatt from Control Concepts and the State of Control and uh, Ask the Programmer. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And I forgot to mention Aaron and Scott. Aaron's the host of our EdTech show, and Scott is has been on that program basically since we started it. So, um, yeah. Uh, so first story, and this is not a surprise. Well, I'm going to say it's not a surprise. It's a surprise to some folks. Google has announced that it will be discontinuing the Jamboard whiteboarding app and the display. The company says that it is transitioning to a model where it will integrate third-party whiteboarding tools with Google Workspace. Google will also compensate educational institutions for their Jamboarding devices. Pay attention to that for a second. Basically, Google's going to say, okay, we're, we're so sorry that you've invested in this. We'll buy back your Jamboard. Some experts believe that this decision is a sign of Google's commitment to aligning with market demands. Others are more concerned about the fact of the impact of this decision on schools. Jamboard has been a popular choice for schools in recent years, and many have invested heavily in the platform. This is not the first product that Google has killed. In fact, there is a website dedicated to products that Google has killed. It's called killedbygoogle.com. I'm not kidding. Go check it out. Uh, and by the way, the jam the jam board is already on, up there as of the 13th of, of, of October when we're recording this. Um, Aaron, we're going to start with you. You can talk about the jam board if you like, but but the overarching question is: there's a lot of of education institutions, mostly higher, mostly K-12, but certainly some higher eds that that went down the jam board route. That was their standard. What do you do when your standard is killed? by the main company that owns it. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one, especially at least Google is showing some good faith in, yeah. in kind of giving them back a little something. Uh, but yeah, it can be tough on all those educators who now have to learn a whole new tool. Um, yep. 
it is nice that Google's being innovative and they're continuing to, you know, understand what works for them and what's not. And maybe, and there are some manufacturers who probably could take a, a note from them in understanding that, hey, maybe our product isn't the right tool for the job. So let's just work with somebody else who can do it better and integrate that into our solution. Um, but yeah, I, I really feel for those schools who do have to kind of start over um, with, the, with their solution. Diner, uh, you taught me the word pedagogy uh, a number of years ago, but let's, so let's use it here, right? You've got a number of, of educators who did use the Jamboard in their pedagogy, in their classrooms to teach. You know, how, what do you do when you're, the standard that you've been using is suddenly now obsolete or at least not available to you? Yeah, I mean, Aaron started talking about that, which is the, the biggest one to me. And so I think this is going to be mostly K-12. I don't hear a lot of my colleagues that ever use Jamboards, which in some ways actually makes it more difficult. You have teachers who have integrated this into what they do. They they have processes in place to share it with students and parents and whatever they whatever they do with the stuff they've done on the Jamboard. Uh, it's really difficult because K-12 through teachers already don't have much time for everything that they need to do. Um, I, I guess the only, the, the runway they have here is that uh, the product will still work, right? Like it's not going to stop working on a certain day, I'm hoping. But they're buying it out. They're buying it back. Yeah, but that, you know, that's great. I mean, we don't know how much money they're giving and to go replace all of the, unless they give you your full money back or they buy you a new product, the schools have to keep using these, right? Because we already know K-12 yeah. budgets are barely exist. Uh, so it, it, it's better than just saying too bad. I, I, I have to say that, uh, but it's going to be really difficult for uh, technology quarters in schools to figure out a replacement for this, to pay for it, to get them installed, to train the teachers. If you've got this in a, in a school with 50 classrooms, you're, you're not having a good weekend after, no. after reading this, let's, let's say, I, but like you said, I, and the first thing I thought when I read this was, you go down the road with Google, you've got to be ready for something like this. We're a Google school. And every time we talk about using some piece of Google, I'm thinking, I say all the time, you got to be prepared, right? Because they're going to cancel it. Um, so I, that that's no benefit or, or um, it, it doesn't help the schools that are using it, but it is a huge, huge challenge. And I actually think that's where Google would support them the most is training uh, and, and providing training for whatever product they're going to encourage people to use. Certainly. And, 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 you know, pointing them in directions that is going to leverage the Google app, right? The, the ones that will be in, their, in the ecosystem. Um, Greenblatt, I'm going to take a little different stance with you on this. How do you integrate a new standard or how do you roll out a new standard when it comes to technology corporate wide? And I use corporate in the generic sense, not necessarily corporate AV, but higher education, K-12 in the corporate space. How do you get your cohorts and, and the folks that are actually using this on a daily basis acclimated to a new standard you have to base it on what they know so we we can't just rip this what their technology what they've invested in what they what they're comfortable with away from them and give them something else and say here um figure it out or learn it or this is what's new you have to transition um so if there's a way to be able to create a bridge from what they currently are working with and what they are comfortable with <clears throat> to what's going to be new, it is going, going to be the best way of doing it. Also involving them in that transition and making sure that they're 
aware that we want to take your input and we want to understand what you need. And this is an opportunity to look at something new and to everything always has some shortcomings and everything always has things that you would like to work differently or better. So why don't we focus on those and in, in, um, in, in then bringing in a new solution and a new standard and hopefully it becomes a positive um, knowing that, you know, something is going to be replaced and you can't turn back is helpful in that regard so that it doesn't look like it's being forced upon them by the person that's coming in with the new solution, but more so that new solution is trying to help them and trying to get them to a better place. Um, you know, this also makes me think about just the whole idea that we, we can't be too tied to one technology or one brand, which I think we've also learned quite a bit over the past couple of years. So what we need to understand is we have to base our systems and workflow and processes on something that isn't necessarily um, a, a proprietary solution or something that, that, that can't be replaced. So, uh, you know, it's I thought that there was a nice tie in there as well. You say that, however, in, in talking with a number of folks who were in charge of technology, both on the corporate level and the education level, you say you can't be tied, but holy cow, from 2020 through 2022, a lot of them were, and I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying, I know a lot of clients that said, you know what, we're an XYZ house. We'll stick around to be an XYZ house. We know they're having supply chain issues. And it wasn't until the end of 22 that suddenly that dam kind of broke and they said, you know what, screw it. <laughs> we're, we're whatever you can get us kind of house. So absolutely. Uh, next story, actually we have two from AB.technology. Um, first one, we're gonna talk about RF for a second. RF Venues has released a brand new RF spectrum analyzer called the RF Explorer Pro. It is designed to help users improve their wireless microphone and in-ear monitor systems. Analyzer has a touchscreen interface and can be remotely controlled, has a variety of data display modes. According to the FCC, there are other versions of the FCC in your country. Check out which ones that your, com your, com your country has sold off. But according to the Federal Communications uh, Commission's website, currently most of the 600 megahertz and all of the 700 megahertz band are unavailable. There are very small portions of the 600. So you look at Sure's website, Sure is a sponsor of Aviation. Sennheiser's website, also a sponsor of Aviation. Any other wireless manufacturer, they're gonna tell you to stay below 600 and you're typically going to be safe. Um, however, and this is a bit of, of Tim's soapboxing for a second, the FCC at least, the, federal, the US federal government has been selling off spe spectrum for roughly 20, 25 years. My two cents is they're going to do it again, Tyner. Um, so I don't know anything. I have no politician in my pocket that's just looking at what the government does. How important when you look at something like this, and you know, not necessarily the RF venues part, but maintaining the wireless spectrum in your facilities, how important is that? So first of all, I mean, I agree with you, right? The government has a chance to make money. They're gonna, they're gonna do it. <laughs> they're, they're always looking for, for a way to make money. It, it's critical. I, I think I'm lucky in the place that I'm at that we we don't have many of these venues that have a lot of this equipment. Um, but as, and and so I I also will say I'm I'm not completely up to speed technically on this, but I do know that this is it's it's a critical piece in knowing what spectrum you're using, where it where across your campus it is, how that's affected with emergency communications. 
that might be going on in your town. Uh, we have here on my campus, our, uh, we have a hospital literally across the street and an ambulance service about uh, a quarter mile down the road. So knowing that, documenting it, um, and continuing to be up to date on what's going on is, is critical. All right, Greenblatt, a little bit of an automation question here. How can you guys, how, how can companies automate this and get feedback from their systems if there's some sort of interference or if, and how do they, how do they automate that fix, right? How do they automate that, oh, I'm on top of somebody or somebody's on top of me when it comes to an RF spectrum and automatically fix that or can they not? Is it something you have to physically, you know, fix? Well, I'll say if it's possible, and, and I can't say that I, I know for sure, um, that, you know, it's, it's certainly a great function for monitoring. You know, it's, it's a great way yeah. of being able to do um, regular testing and regular um, be, being able to identify the environment and see where there may be conflicts and, and at least raise a flag and saying that there's a problem or there, there's a you know, frequency that isn't available or, or there's, there, there's some type of interference. Um, if products provide a API integration and, and give you that ability to make those changes more, more power to them and more power to the developers and to the clients to be able to, to, to make adjustments on the fly and ha have that. I mean, that it'd be a wonderful thing. And that this is where you start to talk about the, the power of providing tools to those who are maintaining systems as much as those that are using the systems. And, and that's where, a, you know, an API can, can be very valuable, even though you wouldn't give a function like that to a user, you wouldn't, you would really want it for um, a, a technology manager or somebody who is uh, responsible for maintaining the room or the, or the facility. Yeah. Steve likes APIs. If you don't believe me, listen to the last episode of, of State of Control. Actually, not the last one. We just posted one this, this morning on Friday. Next to the last one. Um, Aaron, same kind of question as you and Tyner is, is maintaining the, the RF spectrum on your campus, in your rooms, between rooms, right? Making sure that if you've got a multi-story classroom building that, that one professor is not talking over the other one, how important is maintaining your RF spectrum? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of our spaces that use, that have, you know, vocal reinforcement in them tend to be far enough apart, but there are some buildings where there's rooms stacked on top of each other, essentially, that um, that do have microphones in them. So, yeah, we have to be careful to make sure that they're not going to interfere with each other, that the mics are on their proper channels, so we're not uh, getting bleed through to another space. Uh, we actually, a uh, um, couple years ago, I think it was pre-COVID, we had um, an event in uh, one of our large performance spaces, which is not terribly far from the Baltimore Museum of Art, and we were having interference um, from that from a, one of their spaces over there, um, which I'd figured that's far enough apart. Like, what? How would that even work? But it was. I guess close enough that the bands were buttoned up against each other and some kind of crosstalk was occurring. So luckily we were able to kind of make some adjustments and shut that down. But um, yeah, you can't, you can't have a, you know, a good performance with <laughs> potential interference from other devices around the space. So being able to kind of check and make sure that, you know, you're in the clear would be valuable. All right. 
Uh, last story also comes to us from AB.technology. They sat down with Jeff Birch, who is the head of programming uh, product uh, manager for Harman. What that means, in case you forgot that Harman had a control system, <clears throat> is that means AMX. So they've got a new uh, program project product called Muse. According to the article, it has, quote, unquote, takes a steamroller to the old AMX. The gentleman that wrote this, uh, and Mitchell will put a, a link to the article, uses, you know, old AMX, previous, all sorts of language that says this is not your grandfather's AMX. Greenblatt, we're going to start with you on this. One of the things about this is um, Jeff goes on to talk about the fact that you can program in darn near anything, Python, Groovy, JavaScript, Node-RED, whatever you want, right, inside this new AMX. It's also a departure, again, according to the article, from the quote-unquote walled garden of AMX. A phrase that they used was the wilderness, AMX coming back from the wilderness. I'm 100% going to lean on, on that because it really does feel like that for a moment, AMX was in the wilderness. They were losing market share, especially in higher education, which is where they, they lived and, and they, they survived and, and thrived for a long time. So how does AMX come back from the wilderness with this Muse product? Well, first, first, I give them a lot of credit for, for being bold and taking a chance and, and, and coming out with something like this. And I think that they had to in order to make a comeback and to, to get on the radar because what they came out with and what they're showing and what they're talking about is very, very different than everything else that's out there. Although some of the other platforms leverage modern programming languages, they're talking about the true modern, the true programming language, not a... A sandbox version, which is very different from any other platform that's out there and, and really opens the doors to so many possibilities. Now you're talking about having all of the libraries available to you. You're talking about having all of the, the, the talent available to you. You're talking about being able to talk about what you do to any other type of person that programs in any of these languages in the world forums, all those things are now available to you. Um, so, so they really have um, put uh, a stake in the ground and say, we're not only making a comeback, but we're doing it in a way that we feel is going to reshape the way control is, and pro programming is done in the industry. And it really looks at things more from a software development perspective, because now you could have multiple people working on projects. You have the, 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 what they're, what, what they're doing is, is really um, very much going to shake up if, if people invest in it. And I think the right people will identify with this, that it's really going to shake up the way we do AV programming uh, moving forward. Um, so can they make a comeback? They have to build trust. They have to be there. They have to show people that they're they're going to be here to stay. They have to show that they're not going to be a flash in the pan, and and they were worth the wait. And they have to show that the fact that that we're we're still here for clients. We still want to be a part of the industry. We we still um, we we may have either misstepped or or gone dark for some time, but 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 our core is still there, and and we're and we still. 
um, understand what you're asking for and what you need. And, and we've come out with something that we think will appeal to you. And, and of course, it all comes down to being able to provide support. You know, every, that, that's, you know the product has to be good and reliable, but, but the support has to be there. And, and that, that's where I think uh, they, they can really earn that trust back because they, that was something they were always big on. All right, Aaron, um, I've said this before. I'll say it again. You're a much better program than I ever, ever was um, because I am, I am the quintessential failed uh, AV programmer. I think it's cool. I think it's awesome. I just can't do it. And you can. So with that said, from a programming standpoint, but also from a higher ed standpoint, when you look at this, what do you see? Like, is this something that excites you? Is this, is this something that you're like, okay, let's, let's try it out. Or is it too little too late? You know, I think that they made this decision kind of at the right at the right moment. Had they waited a little bit longer, it it probably would have been too late. But I think that this decision is really is good, and it's it can only you know help them moving forward. Um, I look forward to seeing the case studies and seeing like what um, schools and um, corporate. Uh, it, what they're going to do with it. Um, I certainly wouldn't mind playing with it myself uh, to, and I think, especially with the fact that Python is one of the languages that, um, that it works with that. And especially with data analytics being Python being the main language for, for that um, it'll be interesting to see um, how much better some like, dashboards can end up becoming um, to get the feedback from the systems and use um, because that's, I mean, that's, those things are huge for um, especially like as a technology manager, uh, what kind of, you know, feedback we're getting from the touch panels. And I think that getting, having that really potentially on board um, can be absolutely incredible. Dinah, that actually uh, plays very nicely into where I was going with you on this. Uh, Scott, a number of years ago, turned me on to re remote monitoring and, and and doing the data analytics of your spaces. Um, Scott, I, if I remember correctly, you got rid of VCRs on your campus because you proved through the data that nobody was pushing the button, right? So talk about that, the, the, the power of having that data uh, for your campus, for your corporate space, and being able to give that to the decision makers and say, look, th this is how we're using this space currently, regardless of what anybody else is saying. Yeah, we've made many, many critical changes and choices here based on data that we collect uh, and being able to look at that data and say, where are we spending our money and spending our people resources to provide the services that are most important? Um, and so it, the, the VCR example was one um, from a long time ago, right? There was, it costs money to put these in the room. Nobody's using them. We can put that money into building a new room if we save up enough of these VCRs. We've done it with uh, staffing at our help desk. We've done it with videotaping and running events. We just collect all of this data. I mean, and everything that Aaron said is, is just spot on that you, this is the right time that they're doing this. People are, I think people are looking at data more. I think, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, people are 
uh, more willing right now to look at different opportunities, different options, uh, and to kind of get out of that walled garden. Uh, I think it, it's interesting that that the uh, that the Jeff in here talks about. There's some fear to that that if we let them out of the walled garden, they're just going to go buy from anybody. Um, so I don't know. Maybe we need to come up with a word like what is it? If you're not in the walled garden, you're in the city park or something. I, I don't know what it is, but it, it is a little scary for them. And but they need to, I think that what their success needs to be here, they need to commit to this. They need to say, this is our strategy. We are giving all of our products, do whatever programming you want. Uh, and I think that that's actually got some potential to really get people to catch on. As long as it's not a trick of, well, these three or four kind of, these pieces, you can do it. But really, if you want to use anything else of ours, you've got to kind of um, do some uh, proprietary programming. So. I just I think that you can never underestimate um, the power of data, even going back to the registrar and figure out how many classrooms do we actually need? Do we need to build a new building? Are we using them wisely? Just all of that is is just so critical. And, and so using Python to do some of that is um, it, it can change your business operations, even in a college. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, that is going to do it for us. Uh, really quickly before I, I, I get these fine people uh, to tell you where you can find them. Um, ISE 2024, I know it doesn't seem like it should be here, but it is. Uh, I put it on Twitter this week that I've already scheduled my first, actually four now, uh, interviews at ISE. So, but registration is open. So go to iseurope.org, iseurope.org, uh, and you can register there. Aaron Mayer Moran, thank you, ma'am. Always good to see you. Uh, where can people connect with you or Johns Hopkins? Yeah, so uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn or on uh, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter at uh, smearin underscore off underscore ice. <laughs> or um, you you can uh, find me on the Hutma community. And um, or uh, I'm also, you can find me at Emar to at jhu.edu. Right. Also, yeah, hetma.org. Mr. Tyner, good to see you, bud. Uh, how do people connect with you or Bates? Uh, you can get, connect uh, with me on LinkedIn or I, I, I guess, as, as Aaron probably forgot, right, on, or on X. Sounds kind of weird to say. It's at S. Tyner. Um, always, always love the new new connections. All right. And you can also check out Scott's writings, typically about once a month on, on uh, Rave Pubs as well. Uh, Mr. Greenblatt, how do people connect with you, sir? You can find me on uh, social media at Steve Greenblatt and my company, Control Concepts, at controlconcepts.net. And as you mentioned, I do another podcast uh, that, well, a couple of them, uh, State of Control for EV Nation, which is a monthly that we talk about control programming and automation. And I have a feeling we'll be speaking a little bit about the uh, this uh, the uh, Harman uh, new processor. So if you want to tune in there in the future, uh, check that out and also do a podcast with James King, which is weekly uh, called Ask the Programmer, which we try to talk about uh, some topics that are related to programming and automation and try to answer some of the questions and, and uh, provide clarity to uh, programming for those who both do it as well as those who want to learn more about it and try to create some community for programmers. All right, very good. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on X or LinkedIn or anywhere else because uh, the Bears finally won a game, and that's all I know. Uh, but go by the web play, website, if you would, please, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find all three of these guys right there. Uh, Aaron, as I mentioned, is the host of our EdTech show. Scott is typically there on a monthly basis. Greenblatt's there with uh, a state of control. 
We also have Erica and Jennifer that do uh, the Women in AV podcast. Every once in a while, Dave Danto gives us something unconnected, uh, as well as Amelia Coleman with um, the XR Star and my buddy Matt Scott. I always forget, uh, but he covers the residential side. So all that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Hi, this is Jennifer Goodyear. And Erica Carroll. From from the the Women Women in in AV AV podcast. podcast. Where we are encouraged by the incredible stories of women in AV. Listen in on fun, empowering conversations as we chat with inspiring women, breaking barriers, and creating their own path in the industry. Check out Women in AV on avnation.tv or wherever you get your podcasts.